and and as a result, you know, he figured either I was just going to fold completely, or it was going to make me like tungsten steel because he knew that the environment that I was going to have to live in was going to be tough. It was going to be still, you know, a lot of prejudice, and you've got to work harder than the next guy simply because of the color of your skin. Excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. These are the values the Sam and Walton College of Business explores in education, business, and the lives of people we meet every day. I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Walton College, and welcome to the Be Epic Podcast. I have with me today, Quentin Smith Jr., Chairman of the Board of Banner Health, and president of Cadre Business Advisors, LLC, a consulting firm that focuses on strategic planning, performance improvement, and crisis management. Quinton has over 40 years of experience providing management service to publicly and privately held businesses. And he is on the uh, board of some very impressive companies, one of which I tend to be pretty familiar with, um, He's on the board of Store Capital, um, a publicly traded uh, company. You might want to look it up. Really interesting. Uh, there's uh, it was started by a fellow by the name of Mark Fleischer, who has been involved with the Walton College and the University of Arkansas. Um, Mr. Smith is also on the board of Orion Group Holdings, Arizona Public Service, and many other uh, entities as well. So, Mr. Smith, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Good to be here. You come from a really interesting background, as we talked about earlier. Um, your father was one of the Tuskegee Airmen, Airmen um, which is amazing to know someone whose father was one of the, the pilots for Tuskegee Airmen. Um, and so you had an interesting father. And I know you had a wonderful mother as well, based on what you told me. And you've had an amazing career. So would you mind telling us a little bit about your background and, and your, your career? Sure. Um, and I think it's good for context for what I'm going to say and the questions I'm going to answer. Um, I didn't come from uh, a family of wealth or anything like that. Um, I grew up in Gary, Indiana. And for those of you that don't know about Gary, it's... Um, not the um, best place on the face of the earth to be raised. It was when I was growing up as a kid, but it, it turned rapidly into um, the type of city that was retreating rather than, than going forward. And um, I, I had the opportunity to, you know, just be like some of my friends who are still in the same corner, you know, my age, no, no ambition, no, no career path. Uh, but instead, uh, because of both of my parents, uh, I ended up on a different track. My mother was a librarian, so I was a latchkey kid before the, the phrase was formed. So when I got out of school, I would wait for her at her library and I'd read everything in there. So I, I became a reader uh, out of boredom and because of what she was doing. My that father gave you a huge advantage, I would think. It, 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 it did because... Um, I couldn't talk to my friends about some of the things I read because they 
didn't know any of these books or authors. But as I got older, you know, having that depth of experience through reading has, has paid off in, in some regards and, and made me, I think, more well-rounded. Um, my, my dad um, was a um, school administrator, started off as a uh, Latin and English teacher. Um, so he was uh, very insistent upon me understanding and be able to speak the king's English. Uh, he thought that was uh, very important when we would miss misspeak uh, at dinner, he would correct us. And so I learned how to make sure I, I spoke well. Um, and just a little fine point, uh, because I know he's listening to this, even though he passed away a few years ago, he was one of the original Tuskegee Airmen. There, there's a big difference between the first 101 and the rest of the guys. So I was going to make that point. Um, but anyway, so, so he taught me uh, that education was the most important thing I could have, because once you have it, no one can take it from you. And if you get the right kind of education, uh, it can bode well for you for the rest of your life. So I grew up in that kind of environment. Um, but along the way, uh, my friends that I was hanging out with junior high school weren't the best characters in my father's mind. So he sent me to military school. So I spent high school in military school, a place called Howe Military, just east of Notre Dame in Indiana. Um, and that helped me become a stronger person because I, of 450 kids at that military school, there were eight that were black and I was the only one black in my class. And as a result of my way my father raised me, when I graduated, I was president of the class. I was the top uh, commanding officer in terms of awards. Uh, I was in the varsity club, was the editor of the paper. Uh, it was, uh, as my father would say, a boy named Sue kind of situation for your students. They won't know what boy named Sue means, but uh, tell them to look it up uh, <laughs> and, and find that 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 song um, and they'll know what I mean. So he, he made sure that, that I was tough as nails and, and it's helped me um, in my career. So that's that's the background that I went to Purdue because it was right down the, the uh, I-65 highway close by and it was cheap. It was five hundred dollars a year to go to Purdue in 1968. Um, and, and it's not that anymore. And I started off in electrical engineering, uh, but 7.30 a.m. calculus classes made me think twice about that. So the counselor said, I'll, I'll give you a hint, the engineers work for the business guys. So I switched to the Cranach School of Business and graduated with a double major industrial management computer science and was recruited for my first job uh, to Southern California Edison um, in Santa Monica, California. So I went from West Lafayette to Santa Monica in about six days. And um, the rest of it is, is pretty lengthy, but I, I ended up working in industry for about eight years, uh, figured out I'd be a pretty good management consultant. I like the diversity of problems, you know, a pretty quick study. Uh, so I moved from um, Southern California Edison to Hughes Aircraft, to Universal Studios, to Great Western Savings, to get a broad spectrum of different industries. So I understood those. And then I started my own company in 1983 and um, uh, started with a consulting firm and then bought a company for about 35 million and tagged that onto that. It was a data center processing company for banks. Sold that in 92, tried to retire, uh, didn't work. <laughs> 
and we moved from LA to, to um, Scottsdale in, in 92 as well. So I've been here in Scottsdale since 92, um, been involved in a lot of different things, done some turnarounds of companies that are in bad shape, um, been on public boards, taking two or three companies public, uh, just a, a, a very fortunate set of circumstances for me personally and, and professionally. And have met some great people along the way, one of them being the person that we have a common denominator in and Mort Fleischer. So that's mm-hmm. as you say, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, what a great story. And um, you know, in in starting your own company in nineteen eighty three, so well thirty nine years ago, almost forty years ago. Yeah, um, I was uh, 20, 30, 32. So, um, and then you eventually bought a company that was a data center processing company for, for banks. Um, and but what, what made you, how did you find that deal, that opportunity? Well, um, two things that were important to doing that deal. The, the first one was, there's a, there was a guy, his name was Reginald Lewis. He wrote a book entitled, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? Reginald was the first um, black entrepreneur to do a leverage buyout in the 80s. He bought Beatrice Foods for a billion dollars. He was one of my fraternity brothers. I had a chance to meet him and he said, Quentin, at some point you need to own something, not just work for somebody, you need to own something. So he introduced me to his banker who did that deal. And so put a pin in that as one resource. The other resource is one of the companies that co-owned this data center company that I bought was one of my clients in LA is called Coast Savings Bank. And I made an offer to them to buy that data center uh, company from him and the other banks that owned it. and. Reginald introduced me to his bankers, Drexel Burnham. They did the financing and we bought it for 35 million. That's how it, that's how it was done. Well, I, I remember um, back, you know, when I was an, a young, I was an undergraduate student um, in business when Reginald made that deal with Beatrice. Right. Uh, which was really, and, and so it made the news. I, I was just newly reading the Wall Street Journal back then, and uh, remember reading that. And if I remember correctly, he he died at a fairly young age, didn't he? Yeah, he had brain cancer. He died at fifty, I believe. Um, but but he was able to touch a lot of people like me um, along the way. And uh, one of the people that, that I met along the, about the same time as, as Reggie was Vernon Jordan. Vernon was an attorney, but he was a deal maker, rainmaker guy, uh, ended up becoming Bill Clinton's number one outside guy. And Vernon told me, you need to figure out how to get on corporate boards because that's where the real power is. So between Vernon and Reggie, they were the, like the keys for me to get at a young age and understanding of what is out there if you're willing to apply yourself. So on one track, I started preparing myself to be a worthy board candidate for a corporate board. And I've been on six public company boards as a result of that and a couple of private boards. 
and then with Reggie to be able to have enough sense about what to pick as a target to buy and being able to um, put the financing together to buy it. Well, you know, it, it shows you how it's not it's not enough to just know people, but if you've got the capabilities and you're willing to work hard, knowing people can make a big difference. And, um, you know, uh, and it's funny, you know, of course you said it was your, he was your fraternity brother. Right. Um, that, uh, that's something people don't often realize that when you're in college, a lot of the people that are your friends, there's a certain number of them that are going to really do quite well and possibly help you in business later. You don't realize it when you're rubbing shoulders with them, but but it happens. Right. I mean, while you're there, you're just trying to get get out of there in four years um, and get your get your your graduation over with. Um, and that's all you're really focused on or maybe partying a little too hard, depending on what school you went to. Uh, but what you know, the whole objective is to get that. I graduated from a college, which gives you the ability to be credible to get a real job. So that that's where I was focused. But then after you get out, you realize networking is extremely important. I think if you looked at my personal balance sheet, this is what Mort talks about your personal balance sheet. The biggest number on that balance sheet isn't the money I have in the bank. It's the network of people that I know and that trust me and I trust them and that I can use, and I use, don't mean that in a negative way, but use to leverage certain outcomes, either for myself or for others, um, like they have done for me. You're right. Mort talks about that uh, a lot. Um, great concept. And he also talks about, um, you know, thinking of yourself as um, a um, missile. Right, a guided missile, right. A guided missile, um, and so you have to make course corrections as you're as you're going, um, but you're going somewhere. Yeah, you have to have and, a target, otherwise, you there's what's the point, right? And, but even though you have a target, as you were saying, sometimes the wind blows a little differently, or you know, something something goes wrong with one of the the engines isn't firing right, and you have to make those course corrections. So it's uh yeah that that those are two really good analogies that Mort has come up with. He has, and of course he shares that with a lot of young people, uh, especially through the Fleischer Scholars Program, which I know you're a board member of. Is that correct, trustee? Correct. Yes. Yeah, um, I enjoy that relationship immensely. And you're also on the board of Store Capital, which is an amazing company. Um, would you mind talking about Store Capital just a bit? Sure. Um, Store Capital is the third, is kind of um, 3.0 for Mort. Uh, he started with a company called FFCA, Franchise Finance Corporation of America, which was doing all of the real estate um, and land uh, buildings and land financing for people that bought franchises. So he, he would be the underwriter of that. He would own the land in the buildings and, and, and rent them back or lease them back to the person that owns the McDonald's or the KFC or whatever. Um, he sold that company to GE Capital 2001. Um, he did another 2.0 of FFCA uh, after that uh, with some partners that 
Um, as Mort would say, I, I, I don't do well with partners. Um, and, and this was a case where it, it sounded good on paper, but it didn't work out. And he moved on from that. And then um, in two, 2014, um, established Store Capital to do fundamentally the same thing, sale, lease back of, of um, corporate properties. But this time it's bigger properties. So companies that are middle market have big manufacturing buildings or distribution centers. We would those those companies have those buildings that they paid for and the value of those buildings just sit on their balance sheet as a number. It's not cash. It's just a representation of the value. But for them to expand, you have two choices. You can go to the bank and get more debt. Or you can do what we do for them at store, which is we'll buy that building from you, pay you cash for it. And you become um, a tenant of your own building. You pay us rent. So you get that cash to, to expand your business. You stay put. You don't have to move. Business as usual from the day before you did the deal with us to the, and the day after. And you have the ability to expand without incurring that kind of debt. So store um, was in is in that business. We have about 3000 properties across the United States. Um, as I said, we took uh, store public in 2014. Um, and, um, and most recently, because of its success, it's become a uh, acquisition target. And the company has an offer pending uh, to buy it for $14 billion. Impressive. So you've been on the boards of uh, quite a few firms. What does it take to be a successful board member to really make a positive contribution? Well, the first thing is um, having some expertise that if you are added to that board will help the company be a better strategic thinker and develop a strategic outlook and execute on that and help the management team of, um, to be able to, to define that strategy and to help them execute. But you have to, as a board member, you have to understand the fine line between governance, which is oversight, that's what boards do, and crossing the line into operations, trying to tell the CEO, well, you need to do this. So you have to manage that fine line. You can be helpful and instructive and provide oversight, but you have to be careful not to try to run the business. So expert, a certain expertise that's added value, knowing where that line is, um, and making sure you understand what the rules are about governance and what your responsibility, your fiduciary responsibilities are so that you fulfill those and you don't run afoul of the Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulators. If you wouldn't mind, I would, I'd like to go back to the Fleischer Scholars Program. Sure. I, I really, I mean, I remember the first time Mort was telling me about it and I'm like, you know, he was telling me, you, you know, your brain's like a servo mechanism and right. all this kind of stuff. I'm like, what are you talking about? But the the more he explained it, the more I really liked it. And I thought, what a great thing for students to learn, especially, you know, when they're young, um, preferably before they get into college even. And I remember when he told me about the uh, mental what, what do they call it? The mental balance sheet. Balance you mentioned sheet. that early earlier. And he says, and, and it's funny because Mort thinks in terms of finance and economics so much, doesn't he? Right. right. Uh, I remember, I, th I think one of the first times I talked to him about the store capital, I said, 
how did you know this was an opportunity? And um, he said, at a high level, there was a, a market gap. There was, uh, there was a, a need that wasn't being met. There was a problem in the market. And I won't go into all that, but he said, we solved a problem in the market. That's absolutely and, right. You know, and, and he's so good at explaining things like that. But I remember when he was talking to me, and I thought a mental balance sheet. So I thought, okay, a balance sheet has assets, liabilities. Those are very clear. And your your net worth. Um, and he said, here's how I think about it. And And you mentioned earlier, you know, there's this empirical knowledge you have that it's the sum of all of your experiences mm-hmm. and your connections, your, 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 the people you're connected to. And then you've got your intellectual capital, which has to do with your academic and life experiences. You've got your liabilities uh, and liabilities, things like things you don't know, connections you don't have, mm-hmm. things that are missing, and then your moral compass. You know, and he said those four things together make up your mental balance sheet. And so, you know, we had the students in these, by the way, for those listening that don't know, uh, the Fleischer Scholars Program is like a bridge program mm-hmm. uh, for students that they go to before they go to college. And the students start thinking through these things. What, what, What is my life experience? What do I want it to be? Those kind of things. And he talks about this thing called a three-legged stool. And again, this was another thing where I'm like, what? What's a three-legged stool have to do with this? But but one of them has to do, again, it, it ties back to some degree to the to the balance sheet, the mental balance sheet. But you know, that you you've got the empiricism. You're the sum of all your personal experiences, meaning empirical. So as you go through time you um, collect all of these experiences and connections and they empirically affect what you're prepared to do in your assets, kind of your, like your assets. And, um, but your brain, he said, is like a servo mechanism. <laughs> and so, you know, that you, you, you're, it's kind of like a heat seeking missile, but you've got to know what your goals are. Right. And then, you're a missile and you've got to seek out this target and but you know and so you use all of this to create a mental roadmap where you treat your brain like a computer and you know that everything you're doing is programming it and so one thing i really liked about that is and i I really believe this like when you were young quentin and you were and your mom was librarian and you were reading all of these these books, you were affecting your brain, you were programming it to some degree with a, a wide variety of knowledge um, and really just the ability to read well. I mean, reading well helps you write well and writing well is very helpful in life. Um, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, Mort's come up with these really interesting metaphors that instead of using fancy, you know, uh, psychological terms, he uses these simple metaphors 
that anybody can understand. I, so that's what I really like about it. Well, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Mort knows how to crystallize things. Um, and for me, you know, it was different because there was no doubt I was going to college from the time I was born. I was going to go to college. There was I, my father probably would have, you know, taken me out to desert and just dropped me if I said I wasn't going to go to college. So that was a foregone conclusion. But the targets of the flasher scholars are primarily those kids where their parents have never been to college. No one in their family has been to college. They might be the first generation to go to college. So you've got two things you've got to deal with. One, you've got to orient them to the fact that going to college is a worthwhile endeavor and that it will pay off if you subject yourself to going to college. And then once you get a young person to understand that, the next thing then comes to the parents and the question is, okay, that's great. You've now convinced my son or daughter they should go to college. Well, how am I going to pay for that? So it's a tree that falls in the woods with nobody around. It doesn't make a sound because you've got to have the two of those linked together to be able to get the parent and the kid to just decide this is worthwhile. And Flasher Scholars is that glue that helps parents and the, the, the kids understand both sides of those equations. So one of the elements about Flasher that makes it even more different than it already is in terms of getting a young person to understand the mental balance sheet um, metaphor is that we have another tool that helps crystallize all of the scholarship money that's floating around in the air, how to find something for them so they can finance going to school and have even more than just tuition and books um, and, and, and residence um, fees, but money left over to be able to put some on the kitchen table for their for their their family. So those things combined makes Flasher very unique, very powerful. And for people that get it, it's paid off con considerably. Some some don't get it and, and, and the parents don't get it. But for the ones that have, and there have been quite a number, um, it, it's been very effective. Well, Quentin, thank you so much for pouring into um, the Fleischer Scholars Program and for serving as a trustee to advance it. I personally have witnessed the effects of it on students and um, our results have been really good um, in terms of, you know, the number of students that go to school and then finish. Um, so I'm very grateful for what you're doing um, with that. It's, uh, it's really making a positive difference. And uh, I know that, uh, you know, someone like you, you could do anything you want. You don't have to do this. And um, same with Mort. He, he could just go off and do whatever he wants, but he's electing to serve uh, mankind, if you will, through, through something like this. And on top of that, a lot of people are like Mort that want to do good things, but they want other people's money. Mort has put his money where his mouth is, literally. And um, I, I admire him for being that dedicated um, and it will survive financially um, it, through his estate. And his estate has only one benefactor 
and that's Flasher Scholars. So it's, you know, he, he's an exceptional man. I, I, I've been, like I said, the biggest thing about balance sheet are people that I know and Mort's in the top three other than, other than my parents, he's in the top three. Um, wow. And I, I enjoyed working with him. And when it was time, when he asked me to, to get involved with Flasher Scholars, it wasn't, it was, there was no option. <laughs> it was, yes, sir, I'll do whatever you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, tell him I said hello. I really I miss uh, spending time with him. I haven't seen him for a while. but Yeah, yeah he's enjoying life and he and Donna are, you know, traveling. He's my, my father would do something else that, that uh, was really, really good. He, this was back when he only had an answering machine, right? And, and he would call me knowing that I was not going to be home to answer the phone. And he would leave a single message, which was a question. When was the last time you smelled the roses? That's it. That was his way of saying, I, I know you're a hard worker. I know you you get really into what you're doing, but you got to take the time out. Smell the roses, whatever your roses are. That is good advice. Yep. That is so good. You know, one time, this was a quite a few years ago. I want to think it was. So I've been here at the University of Arkansas for twenty eight years, wow. and um, I've been dean for eight. But uh, I remember one day I was, and I was a very uh, hardworking professor. You know, I tried to. I wanted to be the best teacher. I wanted to be the best right. researcher. I, I was really ambitious, and I realized one day I looked out my window. I thought. This is a beautiful campus here in the Ozarks, and I never think about it. I walk across it, and my head's always on work. Right. You know, and you, you're, you're, you're like this. The total, you just, you know, like you, you don't see all of that, right? And so I got up and I took some time and I walked down on campus and I really enjoyed it. Ever since then, I I do that periodically. Um, it's it, but so your father's advice is so good. Uh, it's good for your mental health and just right. being able to enjoy life. Yeah. I, another thing I told him, I said, the older I get, the smarter he gets. Because because I, I, you know, I, I he, he and I would, would do this when he was forming me, you know, because it was it was pretty brutal. I'll give you another example if you got a minute. So I was probably about eight, nine years old and I was down at the, the local YMCA and there was a flyer that says, learn how to swim for $15. So I come home with the flyer and I said, dad, I need $15. I want to learn how to swim. And he goes, you don't, you, you don't need $15. I said, why, why is that? It's not free. He said, get your swim shorts on or get, get your swim shorts. Come with me. So Gary, if you know the geography, Gary is right at the bottom of Lake Michigan. Our house was probably eight miles is the crow flash from Lake Michigan. Okay. So he piles me in the car, takes me out to the beach at Lake Michigan, has me go in the little uh, restroom, change clothes. Now my dad, you can't tell by looking at me, my mother was five one, my father was six three, two forty. Okay. So I'm right in the middle. So he, he picks me up over his head, walks all the way out into Lake Michigan up to here and throws me and walks back. <laughs> Oh my so, goodness! So so he goes back and and, and he's sitting there reading a book and and about it, it felt like an hour later, but it was a few minutes. I'm here. I am. I'm back on the beach, and he goes, "So how how did you get here?" Uh, 
I guess I swam. He said, I told you you didn't need that $15. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's the way he raised me. Okay. Fortunately, I was able to withstand that approach because he, I mean, all the things I did at the military school, just top of everything. I'm giving the president's speech as a graduating class. I look in the audience. I see my mother, my aunt, my brother, and an empty seat. I figure, oh, my father's out having a smoke or something. I finish. We graduate. I ask, where's dad? He didn't come. So two hours from military school back to Gary, I'm just steams coming out of my, I get in the house and I'm all in his face. And he says, when you do something worth me showing up, let me know. That's the way I got raised. Whoa. Yeah. High standards. I, I mean, he, and, and as a result, you know, he figured either I was just going to fold completely or it was going to make me like tungsten steel because he knew that the environment that I was going to have to live in was going to be tough. It was going to be still, you know, a lot of prejudice and you've got to work harder than the next guy simply because of the color of your skin. And he would not let me leave the nest unless I had that tungsten steel coating first. And it served, it had served me well. He raised my brother the same way. He didn't, he didn't make it. He, it, it broke him. But for me, that, that's what keeps, you know, the, you know, Dracula away. I mean, that's, that's the, the skin I have around me from what he, he built around me to be able to, to, to give me that tungsten. So yeah, very, very interesting background. Well, Quentin, congratulations on your tremendous career success. And thank you again for what you're doing with uh, Mort and, uh, and the Fleischer Scholars Program. It's uh, needed and making a positive difference in society. So thank you. Well, if we can affect even just one kid, we've done it, done a lot, but we were doing it by, by the hundreds and hopefully get to the thousands. And, and it's, a, it's one of the best things I, I'm, I'm involved in, as well as the hospital system. So I thank you for the opportunity to talk and to make your acquaintance. I'm sure we'll probably talk again um, and maybe make a trip down with more to, to the university in the, in the future. I would love that. Okay. Take care. Have a great week. On behalf of the Sam M. Walton College of Business, I want to thank everyone for spending time with us for another engaging conversation. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast service and searching Be Epic, B-E-E-P-I-C.